Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Hello, caffeinators. Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where we strive to make your morning drive and evening commute at least 10% better, hopefully. We'd like to thank all of our caffeinators for your continued support. Um, We've seen some of our merchandise out there, and thank you for continuing to Patreonize us. Um, and continuing to download our episodes and subscribe. This week, um, you maybe saw on social media, we hit 100,000 downloads, uh, which is a pretty big deal in the world of podcasting, I guess. And uh, yeah. Dave, I don't think you or I ever really thought we'd hit 100 downloads. So to, to hit 100,000 <laughs> and still doing this in two and a half years, we're coming up on our 100th episode, which is pretty crazy. So um, yeah. Really, thank you, all of our caffeinators, for your continued support. Um, If this is your first time listening, uh, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. We've been kind of focusing our May episodes around um, addiction and substance use disorder, and so today's episode is going to be the final of that, but we'll we'll be kind of back to our quote-unquote regularly scheduled programming next month. Um, But you can check out www.vettechcafe.com for all of our info. Follow us, like us on Facebook. Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, we have a YouTube channel, all of that good stuff. So make sure to find us all there. Dave, anything I missed there? Uh, no, I think you covered all of it. Um, I, I know normally you ask what I'm doing, but I think people don't care what I'm doing. They're, they're <laughs> wanting to know what's going on at Babytown. Oh, gosh, yes, yes. Actually, yeah, Caffeinators. This is our first official yeah, recording our, with you is, being a dad. This is our first recording since I became a dad, let's see, three weeks ago on Monday. Yeah, she's growing. She's thriving. Daphne is, is doing great. I have no basis of comparison, but what I kind of <laughs> prepared myself for, she's making it very easy on us. She's eating really good. She's a fairly good sleeper. Um, and honestly, the having the time off from work for both Molly and I is hugely beneficial. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, all all is well. In fact, Molly's out with her mom and, and Daphne now on their first, I guess, jaunt about town without me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so so things are going well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. yeah. That's so, great to hear. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I think we have a really, really cool episode lined up for today as kind of our cap to our, you know, addiction and substance use disorder in our field kind of focus for this month. We have... Um, Hesu Joe coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist with clinical focus and interest in Asian American mental wellness, anxiety and stress management, relationship and family dynamics, trauma relief, and gender identity related challenges. Hesu is the current head of clinical operations at BetterHelp, who we have a, a relationship with. That's how we came to have this episode. BetterHelp, if you're not familiar, the world's largest online therapy service where she empowers other therapists in being successful at bringing their skills online. 
Prior to joining BetterHelp in 2017, uh, HESU had provided therapy to individuals and families in community mental health clinics, schools K through 12, and day treatment centers as well. She's also spent time researching different types of treatment for anxiety-related disorders at UCLA, and she is passionate about advocacy for equity in therapy, multicultural humility, and safety for folks with marginalized identity. So, Hesu, thank you so much for taking time out of your, I'm sure, very busy schedule with BetterHelp to join us today. Uh, what can we get you for a cup of coffee or, or other caffeinated beverage of choice? Thank you. I Thank you so much for having me. My caffeinated beverage of choice these days has been chai tea. Oh. It's we, like an acquired flavor. Okay. I didn't always like that flavor, but now I, I can't get enough of it. <laughs> we actually get a lot of requests for chai tea. So yeah, yeah, that one is definite. We have that on the menu, so we can we can definitely yep. get that for you. <laughs> Great. Um, if you don't mind, especially as you're not in the veterinary field like our typical guests are, take us through your career path, kind of what got you interested in this line of work, some major steps along the way, and then we'll kind of jump off from our discussion from there. Sure. Thank you. Um, such a great question. I think I think like a lot of people out there, one of my first dream careers was to go into the veterinary profession. But then I realized you oh, have okay. to like, have science classes and be good at biology. <laughs> and, um, that's probably where that dream stopped for me. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I majored in the major that so many people do when they don't know what they want to do with their life. And they're posed with this challenge of figuring that out at age 18 when you really don't know that much. And that major was psychology. I figured it was broad enough. I'm thinking I was thinking it was broad enough at the time that like I could do whatever after, you know, study the human mind. And then any job afterward is probably going to involve the human mind in some way. Little did I know that I would end up remaining in the field of psychology. And that, like you kind of alluded to in the question, happened after a series of events. It wasn't that I've always aspired to be a therapist. In fact, as a young person, I don't think I even knew what therapy was. And that kind of just speaks to being raised by immigrants who are unaware of these kinds of um, services. But, you know, my first job out of school, I went into brand marketing. Um, that was something fascinating to me at the time. It still is very interesting. But I think after some period, some piece of me was like, I want to help people. This is helping people get to a particular product but I want to help people. And I think a lot of people come to a crossroads sometime in their life and they kind of feel that thing. And I think it speaks to something very deeply inherent in all of us is the drive to practice altruism with other people. And that's when, you know, some soul searching begins in your early 20s, which so many people go through. That's where I, you know, dabbled in research and went back to what I studied in school, dabbled in working with kids on the spectrum you know, became an assistant in a special ed classroom, did all this stuff, put my, you know, togs into all kinds of different pools of water to see what fit for me. This also exposed me to a lot of people with different kinds of licenses in different spaces in mental health, which ultimately helped me make my decision on what grad school program I wanted to go back to because I wasn't making enough money to live. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, from there, it's been a series of fortunate opportunities for me and networking to get me to where I am now coupled with, you know, hard work, persistence, and, and learning how to take care of myself along the way. So, you know, becoming a therapist, I think, is very deeply tied to personality. A lot of people that become therapists probably share something about themselves in terms of, like, of course, wanting to help people, but also maybe it was about having a transformative experience themselves, either through therapy or through some kind of service in the mental health world, 
could be some kind of fulfillment that you get about accompanying someone on their journey to self-actualization and improved insight. And for me, it's like all of that stuff all combined. And also it's like, you know, to be very frank, looking for the paths of least resistance. I'm, I'm generally somebody that likes to relax and lie down and, you know, watch TV and <laughs> take it easy. So these series of decisions in my life was really like, what really resonates and lines up with me while helping me pay my bills? <laughs> yeah, gotcha. mm-hmm. yeah uh, starting out actually just out of high school, I went to community college first and kind of some of my beginning courses, I remember um, I took psych-, psych one, you know, as they say, and had an amazing professor and actually became a psychology minor in undergrad and I was still, at that point in time, I was kind of on a path toward becoming a veterinarian. I started out as a veterinary assistant, but was was fascinated by it and took a lot of psychology courses and still ended up migrating towards the veterinary industry. But I think, as in so many cases, that, that first professor I had for psychology just, I ended up having him for several of the of the courses and just was fascinating to me. And I don't want to say it was a backup career, but it was certainly for a while, you know, a, a very strong consideration for me, too. Uh, and so, so as a mental health professional, and I know you work with BetterHelp, have you had a lot of experience working with people that work in the veterinary industry? And I know we have our discount code up there for BetterHelp. And, and have, you, have you had a lot of people from like either vet, veterinary technicians or veterinarians themselves that, that you work with? Some but not mm-hmm. much. Now, I think this mm-hmm. is probably a result of a combination of a lot of things going on. I don't know if it speaks to how few people in the field seek therapy, right. or maybe it's like something about um, folks wanting to find a specialist, which is, you know, this is not something that I specialize in, or a combination of all those things and other factors. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so some, but I would not, I definitely would not say I'm an expert or that my, <laughs> my caseload has all been folks in this field. Well, it's, it's, I think, you know, going through our careers and just the people around us and what we see in the industry, I, Jeff, you'd probably agree with me. At least seventy-five percent of the of the field needs therapy. Yeah, it's just whether or not they seek yeah. it out is is the big question. Uh, and I'm sure you know our profession is is unique in some ways and, and not so in others. And that you know, there's you, you kind of alluded to maybe for for therapists there there might be some unity in the type of person that, that, that gravitates towards that. And I think there's some in veterinary medicine too, you know, we're generally empaths, we're very type A and driven. And, and I think there is some of that that brings us to that field as well. But then of course there are inherent struggles there mm-hmm. with, you know, mm-hmm. failures and, and different things too. So I, I, I have never seen any data to support that, but that's just kind of my own theory that there is some, part something to that mm-hmm. yeah um when you think about maybe some of the and again i know there's confidentiality and what have you with maybe patients that you have had you know, that mm-hmm. come from the veterinary field are there any common themes whether it be amongst them or or even other fields that they might be similar to like human medical profession we had a um a social worker on i think it was end of 2020 yeah yeah from from one of the veterinary schools, and he kind of talked about previously before coming to being a social worker at a vet school, he worked a long time in, in human health care, and he did find some parallels. I'm curious, did you have you seen anything like that? Definitely. Even while you were 
kind of asking the question, I started thinking about themes that emerge with medical professionals, both for human patients and for animals. And there are a lot of themes, right? There's compassion fatigue. This is what happens when you take care of someone, extend yourself, practice empathy through your work, and then it gets depleted in some way, which can lead to, is related to burnout. And, and burnout is a term coined by medical professionals, and it speaks to you know, the physical exhaustion, the mental lethargy, the apathy that comes from just being completely drained of everything inside of you through your work. You know, folks in this field tend to love their patients, and these are patients that can't speak for themselves or let us know what's wrong. So how difficult is that for someone's psyche and someone's spirit? And, and on top of all of this, as a care provider, you have challenges with the owners who would do anything for their pets but are often misinformed or not wanting to trust the professionals. So there's a lot of interpersonal challenges that come. You know, substance use, substance abuse is quite rampant in all medical professions. Um, and it is something that I have observed in the veterinary profession also. You know, this battle, this constant battle between my passion and am I being paid enough? Passion and pay, can I continue this? This is something I've seen also. And, and on the darker side of things, not that those things were bright, but, you know, disillusionment, having some loss in humanity, uh, a lost faith in humanity, I should say. Um, and for those that don't know, which I imagine your listeners do, suicide rate is higher in the veterinary professional population than in the general population. Um, so a lot of mental health concerns are emerging for those in folks in the field. So those are just some of the themes that I have seen. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's. You know, interesting to to see, like we see what we see it on our side of the of the coin, and and to hear a medical professional or a therapy professional just kind of reaffirming that p pushes home the, the fact that yeah, we are in in crisis mode a lot of times with our veterinary professionals, and also with 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 human human medical professionals mm -hmm. as well. It is it is real, yeah. Um, so let's let's start talking about why we have you on the show in the first place. Um, so we've been focusing on addiction, and we've heard from both a, a veterinary technician that battled addiction and a vet nurse, vet nurse that was married to a vet who battled substance abuse. So what are some of the factors that can lead to addiction and you know, kind of talk about things that we might be able to look out for when we're talking about our colleagues? Sure. First, I want to say... It was a long time that treatment for substance use and treatment for mental health were looked at very separately for a very long time, decades. It's only quite recently that professionals in the mental health field and the substance use treatment field have decided, like, maybe we should be trying to treat these things at the same time, <laughs> where previously a lot of therapists would refuse to work with clients that are actively using, saying, you can come back to my office once you're off of that stuff. But now I think we're very finally seeing treating these things concurrently is what's generally needed. Seeking harm reduction instead of abstinence is probably going to help you meet your clients a little closer to where they are. Now, what factor leads to addiction? I think almost always it's trauma. And what is trauma? People hear this word and there's a lot of associations with combat veterans, PTSD, this kind of stuff. But trauma really is referring to an event or series of events that kind of rips away your sense of safety in this world. Something has happened that's life-threatening or very dangerous either to you or someone or some animal that you have witnessed and you are taking in the notion that the world is not a safe place. 
So if the world is not safe, if your environment's not safe, you're going to do things like have a hard time sleeping, have a lot of anxiety, become hypervigilant. And, you know, when, when someone hears trauma, they may think of like physical abuse, sexual <laughs> violence, war. But veterinary professionals are literally traumatized every single day. You know, folks in this profession are witnessing gross negligence that literally leads to death. Mm-hmm. Y'all witness people with misinformation that leads to grave illness and death. You witness, to be frank, people's stupidity that leads to death. <laughs> and this is trauma. This is trauma every single day. And trauma and substance use are very, very closely related and tied together because folks that are using substances are often trying to numb the pain that comes with the memories associated with the trauma, the inability to regulate your emotions. So instead, you just don't want to feel them at all. And this is often where a lot of um, substance use comes from. And of course, our bodies will become tolerant to various substances and eventually become reliant on them, which is addiction. When, when we think about, you know, you said it was a long, it's been a long time since we kind of associated these two, two things as, as linked. What's the process of dealing with them at the same time versus treating them separately? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone has perfected that yet. I think a lot of <laughs> folks are effectively treating these things. But, you know, when you look at the two fields, there's licensed therapists and there's licensed drug counselors. They're not the same people. They didn't go to the same mm-hmm. schools. So it's really about coordinating care, having these people get together, communicate, work with the patient, the client together. That's not always realistic or accessible to all people. But like I mentioned a little bit ago, Looking to harm reduction rather than abstinence opens the door to many people to find and seek services where somebody, uh, you know, kind of requiring that their clients are not using at the time, that makes it impossible for a lot of folks struggling with addiction to get in the door and start getting help. So I'd love to say that there is an answer. I think the ideal is a coordinated care team. You have support outside of just professionals. There's a lot of AA type of groups, NA type of groups that are available to people for, you know, if that resonates for them. Support groups, you know, peer support, just having the experience of others knowing and understanding firsthand what you're going through can be a very powerful healing factor. So really, it's, it's I think, first about acknowledging that the addiction didn't just come out of nowhere. It's generally caused by something, you know, working with your client to process, uncover, heal those things that have led to this moment, I think can be very helpful. So our, our last guest, Kat Walker, who's veteran veterinarian husband battled, and she was the first to use that I had heard the term or phrase substance use disorder. Is that something that is different from addiction? Are the two actually different syndromes or conditions, or are, are they kind of synonymous with one another? Mm -hmm. Substance use disorder is the actual diagnosis that you'll find in the Diagnostic Statistician's Manual, which is like that giant book of all mental health disorders that some professionals um, use quite often. So addiction is like, you know, describing a characteristic here. You're addicted to something when you feel like you need it. And when you're not using it, you crave it. And A lot of the time, it's impacting your performance in some core settings in your life, such as, you know, main social relationships, romantic relationships, your job or school, um, and just your ability to function. You know, I I personally don't think that one must use one term over the other. 
you call the things in life what you want to call them. Of course, if you're in a clinical setting, your healthcare provider may have a term that they need to use for documentation purposes or you know treatment planning. Um, I do think that some folks don't like the association of having some kind of disorder, so that might be why people don't want to use that phrase. But ultimately, disorder means confusion of a system or a state. So it's not that something is wrong with you, but something is temporarily maybe um, out of whack, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that we can think of as disordered thinking. There is disordered behavior associated with addiction. So I personally use the terms interchangeably, but that doesn't mean that all people are comfortable with either or both of those phrases. So I think it's it's always safe to just check in with who you're talking to and, and what kind of language they prefer if there's anything that makes them feel unsafe. Yeah, I was going to say it might also be, you know, at, we see this a lot in the veterinary field is that, you know, one type of disease process will be called one thing and then more research will be done and say, well, maybe it's not quite technically this. Like I, th I think of um, AHDS and uh, HGE are two things that are interchangeable, but they, they kind of have, have changed the meaning of them because they've discovered that there's there's different properties of both things, that one has a better term of it. So I wonder if that's part of, of what we're dealing with is that instead of just calling it addiction, they're, they're saying, oh, well, it's, it's not really as simple as addiction. It's actually a disorder. Right, right. And there is some specificity here. Substance use disorder is referencing substance, but people can be addicted to things that are not alcohol and drugs. Right. People can be addicted to food. People can be addicted to gaming. You know, there's so many Ca other things. Caffeine. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> not I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I wonder, too, you know, that as you, I think, kind of alluded to with, with disorder, you know, just there, there obviously is still a very strong stigma around mental health. And, and does that, you know, mm -hmm. again, being labeled or, or having a diagnosis of XXY disorder or whatever the disorder is, is that just there, there's still that stigma there? And does that kind of, you know, make that a little bit more difficult to, to deal with as well? Um, yeah, sometimes I think so. I, I, I've certainly encountered plenty of people that don't want a diagnosis that also like I don't know where we all got this idea that there's like a permanent record on each of us that follows us <laughs> everywhere that we go. I started seeing that in like cartoons in the 90s, but I don't know if that's actually real. But people, a lot of people have concerns about a label or a diagnosis like that right. sticking around with them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think in the mental health field, there is a shift around language rather than describing someone using the mental health condition that they might be struggling with as an adjective. It's this is a person managing so-and-so versus this is, you know, an addicted person. It's a person struggling with addiction. Right. Mm. Person first. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and just thinking that, you know, as 2022 moves on, you know, the, the labels are, they're, they're everywhere now mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you have to figure out what, what is going to be appropriate for, for each individual thing. Yep. So are there any common signs or symptoms that we can look for in our colleagues while, you know, that we may be suspecting of, of dealing with or battling addiction or substance use disorder that we should look out for? Yeah. I, um, I mean, these all, all the stuff I'm going to list might be signs <laughs> of something else. But, you know, if, if you're noticing um, a colleague with increased irritability, just being really snappy, short with you, um, angry a lot of the time, maybe even noticing things like lying, manipulating in order to, you're not even sure in order to what, you know, the big stuff is like a lot of forgetfulness that you have not observed previously. 
incoherence even in their speech, in their documentation, if this is something that you check on on a regular basis. You know, just like negligence of details, process, protocol that they normally wouldn't have had struggles with previously. In the moment, the eyes can be very telling also. You know, this could be a lack of sleep, but if someone's eyes, like the white parts of their eyes are not white, that's an indication that something might be going on. And I imagine as medical professionals, that's something that you're looking for in your patients too. You know, if, if they are gaunt and very pale, if you notice a lot of scabs or like small wounds in visible skin places, they're losing a lot of weight really rapidly or gaining a lot of weight really rapidly. Um, and just like unusual changes in mood, these are all things I think all of us can pick up on pretty quickly, especially if it's a colleague that you know well. If something seems off, something is probably off. Mm, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you if you see it, ask. It's a good point. Well, and that's kind of that's. I mean, Jeff and I are, are emergency techs, and that that's kind of our bread and butter is is noticing changes in a in a in a patient's demeanor or mm-hmm. attitude or how they're behaving. So, you know, it should be right in our wheelhouse to notice some of these things. But sometimes it's hard to like call that out. And like you said, are they just tired that day? Are they just having a struggle at home that that's not related to substance abuse at all yeah yeah i definitely don't recommend like confronting a call absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well we'll uh, we'll we'll pick up with that here in a little bit but um one question i had is in veterinary medicine i think very much unlike human medicine the we have access to a lot of the same drugs mm-hmm. and the not necessarily the regulation but the storage of them the monitoring of them in clinic, certainly not all clinics. Some are are very much by the book, but a lot are not. There is a lot of a lot more, I guess I would say, relaxed access or mm-hmm. uh, potential for access than than I imagine there would be in in the human field. Any idea if there's any reality to that? Is is that something that is is actually of concern, or is that just maybe a misguided observation? I mean, there's a trope. Right. If, if um, people have seen enough TVs and movie to know that, like, if you're in a nefarious, non-regulated profession and you have a wound, you might seek out a veterinarian who is mm-hmm. able to patch you up and provide yep. you with some pain meds. You know, like we all have this notion in our mind. And I imagine that comes from some place of truth in some settings. It's really alarming to me, actually, that the regulation isn't as enforced because of that access and because everybody seems to know. But I I do think that there is truth to that. Otherwise, we want to keep seeing it over and over again being portrayed in media. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, why don't we take our, our quick little ad break here and then we'll get back to some more of this after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy, and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. 
Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com slash reviews. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Vet Tech Cafe, where you're guaranteed to find a bonus onion ring in your fries or the next order is on us. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, we just had our ad for BetterHelp, the, the company you work for. And one question we always like to ask our guests at this point is, what do you do to manage your own mental health uh, and what do you do for self-care? Mm, oh, man, I had to take pause <laughs> because um, sometimes you have to remind yourself of all these things that you're doing because there's a point here. Self-care doesn't always feel that great. Self-care does not mean indulging in all the delicious treats that don't nourish your body, jumping into a bath and watching all the TV stuff until you fall asleep. Self-care also looks like going out of your way to make sure you exercise, eat healthy foods that might not taste the best to you, um, <laughs> avoiding onion rings on a daily basis, right? even <laughs> though they are great. And I love finding that extra fry in there. <laughs> So for me, it is a concerted effort to be very mindful of what I feel are the pillars of wellness, which is what you're consuming, what you're eating, but also consuming on the side, just like your social relationships, media, what kind of book stuff you're reading, all the stuff that you're consuming. But really, I'm talking about food. You want to eat real nutrient packed stuff to nourish your body and fuel you for what you need. Another pillar of wellness is sleep, sleep hygiene, making sure you get enough sleep. Now, there's this thing that I started seeing a couple of years ago called procrastination or revenge procrastination or revenge. I'm mix mixing up the words for the phrase here, but the concept is folks who feel like they have little to no control over their day, often meaning they have a job that's outside of what they wish they could be doing. They end up staying up really late because now it's their me time. I finally have control <sighs> of what I get to do. So then you end up staying really late, maybe not even doing anything productive, but just watching TV or playing video games, just not doing this job that's been so hard and restricting you from feeling like you're living the life that you really want. So that really gets in the way of good sleep and sleep hygiene. I think everybody recommends eight hours a day, but obviously it's going to be something that's more appropriate for you. I can't sleep eight hours a day or else my back starts hurting. <laughs> that's another thing. <laughs> and then the final pillar of wellness, and there's so many out there, but these three things I think are really fundamental to being well, feeling well, um, is movement. This could look like going to the gym for you if that is what makes sense. But of course, you want to always um, consult with your primary care physician if something's going on, if you have injuries, that kind of stuff. But movement, we are evolved to be walking around looking for food most of our waking hours, but we don't need to do that anymore. Um, now, a lot of us are just sitting all day. Or maybe we're like standing and sitting, combination of that. Or maybe we're doing some kind of labor, but it's not intentional exercise to you know, do things like encourage increased strength, stamina, balance, endurance. So that stuff is all stuff that I think everybody should really prioritize is eating good, sleeping good, and moving good. I know that's not grammatically correct, <laughs> but this is like a self-mantra yeah. for myself. Um, on top of those things, which sometimes you have to go out of your way to make sure you're doing for yourself. I love live music. I like to snowboard in the winter. Um, I practice yoga and have been doing that for many, many years. 
Um, and of course, love spending time with my two dogs and my cat. <laughs> <I love laughs> it's great. That. I love it. it. Well, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because, you know, thinking about now, like even with as as the pandemic went through, we had, you know, all these food delivery services now that mm-hmm. previously, like five, 10 years ago, you couldn't get someone to deliver you a sandwich from Panera. You You could just. You had to go. You had to leave the house to actually go do that kind of stuff, where your options were kind of limited to pizza and, well, pretty much pizza, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but now you can get anything just brought to you yeah. from any place that you could ever think of. Yeah, that relationship with food thing that can be a whole yeah. episode of something right. or a whole series. <laughs> no kidding. And, and the movement thing uh, really hits home for me right now too, because I about a year and a half ago I started working from home as opposed to having been previous 25 years working in clinics. And as you said, it's not like we're exercising, but we're constantly standing, constantly in motion, going from cage to cage or to the computer, walking around the entire shift or on your feet to now sitting at a desk. I have a lifting Mm -hmm. desk. I can stand up for part of the day, but that was, that's about it. But now we have a daughter and my wife and I are, are walking every day and just, we drive to the park and walk around the park and, I cannot tell you in just the very short period of time, we've probably been doing that now a week or 10 days, what a difference just that short walk makes and and actually getting outside and soaking up some sun and just taking a very slow walk around the park a couple times has just, has made a very noticeable difference. Yeah. Neurotransmitters, folks. Um, (laughs) You know, exercise releases some good ones Mm -hmm. that help us feel good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, just before the break, we talked about, you know, maybe some signs or symptoms we could look for in our colleagues or what have you. If we are suspectful, somebody in, in, in our field too, a lot of, in a lot of cases, our coworkers become close friends. How do we intervene? Um, we, we talked, you mentioned already, maybe not confronting that person. How do we approach management? How do we raise a red flag or, or, Say, I think somebody needs to be checked on. Yeah, this is a tough one for sure. It's like, how do you do that period? Not just in your clinic. First, I think it's always good to be mindful if there are policies in your clinic or in your office around this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. If there is something you're supposed to do as an employee that you're expected to do, you want to be mindful of those things. Also, you know, I I think it's important to try not to jump to conclusions. If you start thinking something's going on, it's always helpful to do some research and educate yourself first. Um, You already have your suspicions. You have some hunch about something. I guarantee that if you Google it, you're going to find some stuff out there about what it is that you have a hunch about. (laughs) Next, you would think I'm going to say, now here's when you start talking to your friend. No, it's get your own support. Uh, make sure that you have a support system in place. This could look like your friends and family, of course, but my recommendation is going to be biased. I'm going to say that you might consider getting a therapist or looking into peer support groups um, that are relevant in this space. You really got to take care of yourself because if you yourself are not in a good mental health space, the conversation with your colleague and friend is going to be even more challenging. You know, remember, you're generally not equipped or trained to help someone overcome addiction. Just like you would not advise an owner to attempt a medical procedure on their dog at home by themselves. (laughs) You know, there are folks out there that have gone to school, that have gone the training, that have the expertise to help somebody with this particular ailment. And it's important to remember that you should not take on the burden or the responsibility to try to do those things on your own. You can be a great friend, but you don't have to be their healer. 
you know, this one's easier said than done, but you hear this all the time in the world of substance use, like don't be an enabler, um, which mm -hmm. may require you to reflect on whether you're doing anything to enable in the first place. And enabling can often feel like you're actually helping them. So, you know, covering somebody's shifts over and over and over again because you have your heart for them might not actually be the best thing. Maybe they need to have the experience of having management notice like, oh, you're not able to work when you're needing to. Maybe there's something we can do to intervene. So it could be that you think you're helping, but you might be blocking um, potential help that could be out there and have realistic expectations. So if somebody is actively using and they're at the point that they have an inability to stop on their own or keep their stuff together by themselves, we really can't expect them to make and keep promises. And it's not fair for us to get mad at them when they can't keep those promises. Um, they're ill. You know, this is a sickness. Just like you can't get mad at somebody for catching a cold, it, it doesn't make sense to get mad at someone who's struggling with addiction because it's a sickness. And so we want to treat mm. it like a sickness. So I know I already touched on this, but again, big reminder to take care of yourself. If you're not taking care of yourself in this dynamic, um, you're creating a Petri dish for resentment and for stress and for your own compassion fatigue. So try not to take it on all on your own. And remember that you can be supportive without necessarily confronting them and saying, I think you should talk to somebody. Um, I think just being there for them, knowing that they have some safe pocket in the world is a great support. You know, your your first point in there about following hospital policy, uh, you know, make sure you're, you're not, you know, going outside of that. When I was asking about the relaxed access or the lack of oversight with controlled substances in our field, for hospitals that do audits or, or regularly count their their medications or, or, you know, verify what's left in the drug vials, do they actually have policies in place about what they do or what needs to be done if there is a discrepancy? I've worked in clinics that, that were really good with, with controlled substance management, but I don't honestly know what the policies were if, if, if a problem was found. And I, I wouldn't even know. I mean, obviously, I would go to my manager for that, but mm -hmm. I, I, I think that would actually be a, a huge problem is that I, I just my knowledge of, of how veterinary management looks in so many cases, there just there aren't enough policies to govern any of that. Well, and I, I think a lot, Jeff, a lot of a lot of what I've seen is and you may have the same experience is that when there is a big discrepancy and I'm talking like not a full bottle of of medication, but if there's a discrepancy of of, of a large volume, the default is always to say, well, we must have made a mistake recording it. Right. We have to go through the, the records and look and see where the mistake was made. And the the factor or the, the thought process that somebody may have taken the drug to use themselves is like 572 on the yeah. list. Um, I, I think a lot of times people in, in management likes to think that They've got a good handle on who they have in their clinic and don't think that it's even possible that somebody in their in their in their care could be could be doing something like that. So I, I think that's that's a hard thing to get through is because we, mm -hmm. we never put that anywhere near the top of the list when we have discrepancies like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean it's it's gotta be very uncomfortable to confront the possibility yeah. of that reality. Yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, so one of our guests, Amber, started a Facebook group uh, for veterinary professionals in recovery. And long story short, we we kind of suggested that and and she made it happen, which is amazing. But other than that, like, are there resources out there that are available for people that are struggling with addiction or substance use disorders? First, love that. Thank you to that person that did that. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I, 
I don't think social media is the one answer, but it's certainly a great option for a lot of people. Um, there's another organization on social media that people can find, Not One More Vet. And this organization is dedicated to suicide prevention for veterinarians, vet techs, folks in this field. So that's certainly something to look into. You know, peer support exists. On top of social media, there's a lot of online platforms where you can find different support groups. I myself am subscribed to a Reddit subreddit called Vet Techs, and I learn so much about folks in the field from that group. And I mm -hmm. see that a lot of people get support from each other just having a safe space to vent about things at work and have an audience that really understands these challenges. And also folks helping each other out with different resources that they have found and have been successful for them in their own healing journeys. There's also another organization called the Shanti Project, which is based in San Francisco, and they have um, a branch called the Veterinary Mental Health Initiative. And so this is an example of folks stepping up to fill a need in this niche community. So um, on their website, you'll see that as of March 2022, it is the first and only program in the U.S. to specifically address the mental health crisis in the veterinary profession. Um, my understanding is that they provide free multi-level emotional support to veterinarians and their clinical staff facilitated by expert clinicians. This is via Zoom, so it's quite convenient for folks across the country. So that would be a good thing to look into. I also understand that the American Veterinary Medical Association has a section for well-being and peer assistance. There's different types of resources that can be helpful, such as self-assessment. So that just means figuring out what might be going on with you. Um, information about self-care that will fit into your lifestyle and, and you know some focus and attention brought to work-life balance and how important that is and many other topics that I think can often slip through the cracks when you're in a helping profession. And, you know, nationally, there's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. There's a National Alliance for Mental Health. These are great places to start if you just don't know where to start, if you're unsure of where to begin your own mental health healing journey. And of course, therapy. I think now, more than ever before, it's easy to find a therapist by just searching some stuff online. Um, and that's something to really consider at least researching to see if there's something out there that might fit into your financial situation and your lifestyle. There's a whole bunch of other things that I have found online that I think many others can too. But just being able to find this stuff means that there is a need and there's a lot of other people out there trying to fill this need. And as always, betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe mm -hmm. for, and what is our deal? Yeah. It's 10% yeah. off your first, first month. Four sessions. Yeah. 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 And I just wanted to call out yeah. the group that uh, Amber LaRock started on, on Facebook is called Veterinary Professionals in Recovery. It's a private group of just, just like it sounds, veterinarians, veterinary technicians that have battled addiction, substance use disorder, whatever it might be, that are in various stages of recovery and just, there to support each other. And I think within a couple of days of starting that group, she already had well over a hundred people join and, and she said it's been really, really wonderful so far. So I just, we'll tag that in the show notes as well, but I just kind of wanted to, yep, to yep. call that out as well. Excuse me. As I mentioned earlier, we're a field of highly driven to succeed, maybe type A empaths with poor boundaries and a, a lot of things I can mention that, that lead to probably mental health challenges from a field standpoint, how do we start getting this addressed uh, or maybe more readily recognized or at least just part of our culture in veterinary medicine that this is a constant challenge and it is something that just needs to be checked in on from time to time? Well, if I may, both of you are part of this movement. 
It's it's just about talking about it. It's about making mm-hmm. it normal, and we can only normalize something by talking about it, by making sure it's something that people are being loud about in so many different outlets, so that it's not, you know, something that's discouraged as a topic in the office or in the clinic. It's important to model being open with your colleagues, especially if you're a manager or if you're the owner of a clinic. You can model self-care by showing them what work-life balance means. You know, I don't have all the solutions for any particular field, but I think in all spaces, something is shifting. In the past five-ish years or so, more and more people are talking about mental health. And I think in the veterinary profession specifically, I don't know what it is, you know, it's like because the beings that you are caring for are ones that do not speak back or ones that do not express their gratitude in some way, a lot of stuff can be forgotten. Things can just like fall to the wayside because it's often a thankless job. But prioritize your wellness and remember that what you're doing is very important. So in in the field, I think you just got to keep talking about it. If you're noticing it in yourself or with other people, talk about it instead of burying it somewhere. And you know, bring it up to the folks in management or leadership in your clinic. See if there's something that they can do to address this because more than likely they're experiencing it too or they have. If they have found some successful way to manage their mental health struggles, I think they should be sharing that with the clinic staff. Mm. Um, so it could be that they need a reminder to share that because maybe less experienced people haven't figured that out yet. Some of the things that I've seen, I mean, there, there are things out there that, that – you know, I've seen some places, especially during the pandemic, where they would designate an exam room as like a mental health um, space where there was just a couch or even a TV or something where where staff could just go and just have like five, ten minutes to themselves where they can't be bothered. I've also seen things like the the kudos boards where if, if something good happened instead of, you know, like you said, having it fall by the wayside and just moving on to the next patient, somebody calls out that person and said, hey, you did a great job today. Um, I, I find that those things are really great to, to see in, in clinics to help really address, you know, the, the toxicity that we sometimes have in the workplace and Getting everyone on the same page and kind of addressing mental health that way, I think, is is one of the best ways to do it. Because otherwise, you know, like you said, you, you're just kind of on an island and your day is forgotten and you just go back and do the same thing over and over again. And it just gets that leads to burnout, compassion fatigue and all the things we talked about earlier. Yeah. Right, right. And And that just reminded me, like, if you have some sway in your clinic, it could be pretty cool to just – have some concerted effort into looking into processes. Are there things that we can automate? Are there ways that we can um, change the way that we're booking patients to ensure that pe- like folks working there are not feeling burnt out and like out of whack? Like, are there things that we can get more of our patients to be on time so it doesn't create that cascading effect of this person's late, that person's late, now someone's mad? Process is is huge. And now in a world where technology has been helping us in so many ways, I think many fields, including the veterinary profession, could benefit from looking into different apps or platforms that can even help with scheduling, um, communication. I will stick this in. My veterinarian office, which I've been going to for a long time, they recently started texting. And this makes such a huge difference because Mm -hmm. previous to this, the only way to communicate with them is leave a voicemail and wait for them to call back. But right. Of course, they always call back when I'm not available. So then they leave a voicemail. And then I call them and I leave a voice. It was like such a pain just to figure out when am I going to pick up some, you know, mm-hmm. Brevecto. But now yeah, that yeah. there's texting, like 
seems so simple, but this kind of revolutionized the way that I can communicate with my vet's office. So things like that, like look for those opportunities. Absolutely. One thing I, I want to add into is my last job in academia, I worked almost exclusively with, with interns. So veterinary students, interns or, or residents, and especially amongst the residents, I saw this almost mind, probably a mindset that if a, if a really, really critical case went home, it was just on to the next thing. And I would tell them all the time and almost drill into them to celebrate the wins. When you have that case that's been there for a week or two, let yourself feel some gratitude or some some happiness. Of, celebrate that win. And I got so many of them that would say, well, that's what we're supposed to do. That, that pet is supposed to go home. Whereas if the opposite happens and that patient doesn't do well, that there's there's a profound sadness there, but there isn't ever any celebration of the ones that actually do well. And so many of them had such a hard time, mm-hmm. like actually letting them letting themselves feel joy for a patient that maybe wasn't supposed mm-hmm. to do well, actually getting to go home. And it, it's that I think is is really really rampant in our field, probably in human medicine too, that's what we're supposed to do. The, the patients are supposed to go home that, you know, like I, I shouldn't celebrate for just doing my job, but at some point we have to, I, I think. Yeah. I mean, you're doing something that most people cannot do for their pets, even though many of us would do anything for our pets, but mm-hmm. it's just sometimes mm-hmm. we can't. And you're providing an invaluable service in that way. Absolutely. We're getting closer to our hour and we, we're trying not to take up too much of your of your time. So how do we encourage our colleagues to seek out help and advocate for their own mental health? I know we were kind of talking about that all throughout this hour, um, but can we just kind of, can you summarize that? Sure. Um, I mean, one thing I've definitely learned over the years is that it's not effective to just tell someone, I think you should talk to someone. <laughs> so you might find yourself wanting to do that, but a lot of times that will turn them off, actually. So one of the biggest things is modeling it by doing it yourself. We can all benefit from increased self-care and doing and incorporating more things in our life that nourish us. And if you are able to show that you are doing this yourself and how well it's affecting you, um, I think a lot of things will go into place in terms of other folks wanting to do that too. Positivity, just like negativity, is contagious. You know, if finances are the issue, if somebody that you are encouraging to seek out some kind of support is saying that finances are an issue, there are low-cost options. A lot of places offer financial assistance, so this is something to ask about, pursue. Just like patients in your office that may not have the information in terms of how they can pay for a large procedure, they're educated about it. It's the same thing with mental health. There are options so that you don't have to leave without any kind of care. Um, So it's important to take ownership of your own healing and look for what's available and accessible to you. It's, It's, you know, super encouraging when you just see someone close to you that's also now achieving something called happiness and finding health in their own lives. And you know, if it's about not being able to prioritize time, it's really important to evaluate what that even means. You know, like if other things are more important than taking care of yourself, you know, that's that's a tough pill to swallow, I think, because mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. are not going to be the best clinician that you can be unless you are well taken care of. We all know the analogy. I mean, I think some people are sick of this analogy. On the airplane, they tell you to put on your own oxygen mask before you assist someone else. 
and it's it's very applicable here in the healthcare profession. You cannot be a great doctor or a tech if you yourself are drowning in something and suffocating. In order to be the best that you can be, you want to be taken care of. And, you know, the most responsibility lies with you. You know, you can't expect for somebody else to pull you out of this hole. Other people can support you for sure, but and, and nobody is at fault for being the victim of trauma or being um, harmed in some way, but we are all responsible for ourselves and what we do after that to heal. I think we're, we're you know, kind of like Dave said at our, at our hour here, so we're going to wrap up. Um, we do have one last question for you, though. It's, it's uh, Dave's special question he asks all of our guests. It's a would you rather question. Are you ready for it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, would you rather be abducted by aliens or bitten by a vampire? Whoa. Um, (laughs) Oh, man, I have all these follow-up questions, but just with that. Oh, I mean, see, I want to know, like, is the vampire bite going to lead to my death, or is it the kind that I'm going to also become a vampire? I I didn't know there were different kinds of vampire bites. I I would say that last one, that you would become a vampire. Yeah. Okay. Immortality. I mean, all the vampire movies I've seen <laughs> has led me to conclude that it's actually a very tragic life. But there's all the uncertainties of what happens if you get abducted by aliens. Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, man. <laughs> so I'm having a hard time with this because you did not know this, but I'm actually a huge fan of vampire lore. I love oh, books, really? movies. Oh, wow. And I also am like a giant X-Files fan. So I'm very much into... <laughs> I want to believe, you know, so I'm... This was just a random question. I, I had no yeah. idea. So that is a very... <laughs> this was not very, planned. Very tough yeah. question. Yeah. I mean, if there's like... It's conditions. I have conditions for, for both <laughs> situations. Let's assume the best and all things work out. I think I want to be abducted by aliens. <laughs> um, assuming they're, they're well-intentioned good natured aliens <laughs> that are just really interested in me and not so interested in like harvesting my organs or whatever. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, are you, uh, are you, do you watch Saturday night live? The, the, the alien abduction skit that they do where, where Kate McKinnon has a, a very different experience than the other two. Like the other two have like a, a very nice, it's very peaceful. And Kate McKinnon's is always like they're, they're, they're doing terrible things to her. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, unfortunately. Oh, you should you yeah. should watch it. Oh, it's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, Whoa. excellent. I, Jeff, what would you do? Um, Aliens or vampire? I think I would probably go vampire on this one. I think I might too. Just the immortality part yeah. of it. Yeah, wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have to worry about getting sick because it'll all work you, out. You already would be, but <laughs> yeah, Whoa. yeah. I don't know. It's one it's, painful illness. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. But, but for sure, a difficult choice. So. Yeah. Well, uh, Hesu, thank you so much for your time today and, and chatting with us about this um, and kind of putting a cap on our uh, mental health awareness series and, and specifically addiction, substance use disorder in our field. I think it's a, a really necessary discussion and really relevant to a lot of people in our field. So we really, really appreciate your time for, uh, for talking to us about this. Yes, of course. And thank you for having this show and being such a great support for folks out there. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, caffeinators, thanks for tuning in again, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. 
The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.